Welcome to our podcast today. This is a podcast called Remember the Odds, where we ask the question, remember the odds? That was a weird remember time. Remember the thing that we did back in high school? The thing that we did. Um, my name is Courtney Cuts and Bruises. Oh, my name is Bethany Bitchface. <laughs> And we talk about everything from the 2000s, from your stud belt that you put on the side of your hip, to the phrase, rar, it means I love you in dinosaur. And then to your fabulous, sparkly MySpace background. (laughs) Yes. So, if you are not familiar with any of these terms that we have just mentioned, you do not grow up around scene culture, which is the topic of today's episode. My haters make me famous. And its music is big. Lalala Strogoff takes a closer look in the 11 Undercover Report. The sound is intense. The look distinctive. Hair that covers one part of the eye. So I met this really cute guy on MySpace the other day. Yeah, it was always, like, super aggressive uh, phrases, but with nobody... Like, anybody who posted that wasn't actually famous. No. But I think that there... And I think I've come up with a thesis, if you will. Uh, For Mm -hmm. an episode I thought was going to be loosey-goosey fun Pokemon Adam, Mm -hmm. I genuinely enjoyed doing some deep dives and talking to former scene kids or people who are still seen, but, you know, 2020 scene, and kind of just got an understanding as to, first of all, what scene was, Mm -hmm. what scene is, Mm -hmm. and what it meant for the people who considered themselves seen. It is a journey of fashion. It's a journey of self-discovery. It's a journey of neon colors and very big hair and hairstyles that I didn't realize had names. Like, do you remember the haircut where, like, the bangs were flattened, everything was flattened except for the back that had, like, And then hair. everything was up? Yeah, it was called, yes. the, it was called the gunshot. What? It's supposed to replicate Why? getting shot through the head. Oh my god, I had no idea. Yeah, I found that out on my research. I'm so glad that I couldn't actually replicate that haircut. I was very jealous as a teen of people who could have the big fluffy hair. And, you know, you just want whatever you can't have when you're a teenager. Oh, agreed. So I had, like, very, like, fine, straight hair that's, like, a little bit wavy. And I was so jealous of those emo- of those scene kids. And now I'm so happy that there are no photos of me with that hairstyle. There is, um... When it comes to scene... Like, I think... Maybe we we want we start off talking about our personal relationships to it. I I think it's fair to say neither of us were seen, but right. that we were around it and we were potentially either either influenced by it. And I know for me personally, there's a little bit of jealousy with it. But do you want to kind of go about what your relationship to scene was? Yeah. So I went to a lot of the tours when this was like a lot of the tours and a lot of the festivals when this was starting to evolve. I remember my last year of going to Bamboozle Festival with uh, my best friend Alyssa and her family 
and her cousin got a haircut there, and it was a scene haircut. That's amazing. <laughs> because back in the day, when you would go to a festival, there'd be all kinds of small businesses there, including these hairstylists, <laughs> so you'd get a haircut while you're there. And I was sort of picky and choosy about what I liked about scene culture. I was jealous of the hair, but I couldn't replicate it. I didn't wear the brightly colored pants, which I realized was a thing. I did buy a pair of red pants, but I never wore them, and I'm glad I didn't. Okay. I did wear the chunky bracelets, which is a thing. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, But I did also really like the shirt style, which was bright, bright, bright neon colors, and then it would be like a black, very tight-fitted t-shirt. Yeah. And I liked the bright colors. I liked that it was cool to wear a Pokemon shirt or a Hello Kitty shirt. Oh, yeah. But I could never go full extreme with the makeup and, like, the hair and the whole getup. Like, scene light was my style. That's fair. Diet scene. For me... And I think I actually, when I was talking to people, because I didn't, I was not really a scene kid, so I asked and I spoke to a couple of scene individuals to, to just kind of get an idea of their experience and why they became scene and what it meant to them. Mm-hmm. And the thing I always said to all of them is, and it's true, I was too much of an edgy slash jealous metalhead. There was this jealousy with this disregard for gender norms in scene with scene there was always this more like there was always this fascination and jealousy and i love that as an adult i can look back on it and kind of look at it get an understanding of it and see like where i've become as an adult disregarding all the concerns for like i would do things like i wore the pink pants like the tight pink pants yeah but yeah. but the only way I got away with it is it was a joke like, oh, I'm switching my pants with the scene girl as a joke. Ha ha. Meanwhile, it's like, I should have just bought the pink pants and worn the pink pants because I looked good in the pink pants. Right. It was meant to be more ironic, even though you actually kind of wanted to wear them oh, more 100%. Oh, yeah. 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 And I totally support anybody buying those like brightly colored skinny pants now because you know what they are still super cute yeah yeah though like i'm quite literally wearing those pants i mean mm-hmm. they're black but they're they, <laughs> like i'm wearing these skinny pants now like the pants right. i wish i wore back then i'm wearing now as a 29 year old man right at the time skinny pants were sort of just making a comeback before then it was the low-rise boot cut or the flare jeans absolutely yeah, so now wearing skinny jeans is a staple, and boot cut is actually starting to make its comeback. Uh, so I think it would be just more normal. It would be more mainstream to wear, like, the colorful skinny pant. You go to Uniqlo, and they're all over the place. Oh, Uniqlo's great. I love Uniqlo. Yeah, I love Uniqlo. <laughs> um, but also, like, I would say that, like, for me, I was more of an emo kid, for yes. sure. And I would say definitely, like, the original source of emo which if you go watch space by something corporate that music video um it's like khakis converse and either a band t-shirt or a skateboarding brand t-shirt even though i was terrified of skateboarding that's fair you would have like the thick rimmed glasses 
nice. and wristbands. So that was more of my style. And then I just sort of dabbled into scene because at that age, I just wanted to wear the, I wanted to wear the vintage cartoon t-shirts anyways. Yeah, vintage cartoon t-shirts, neon monster t-shirts for like a lot of the metalcore bands at the time. That right. was all like, a, and it's so fascinating how it was such a prominent thing and then quickly went away. So quickly. And um, if you want, I can jump into the academically, the academic definition of scene from the most, the most academic of sources, Wikipedia. Wait, before we do get into that. I, yes. I do want to add that I am I am a student at Teachers College at Columbia University, and I have taken a course that has mentioned scene culture as as a homework assignment. Really? Yes. That's yeah. awesome. It was just an HTML that he that the professor wanted us to look at. But this is a thing that we've discussed. This is a thing that people have discussed academically. So what Tom, what Bethany Bitchface is going to share is actually not completely far-fetched because I've sat in on a class that has talked about this stuff. Yes. So if you have anything, because I'm just, I just literally ripped this from Wikipedia just to kind of get an idea. Go for it. No. Do you. According to Wikipedia. Scene subculture is a youth subculture that emerged in the United States and the United Kingdom during the early 2000s. The subculture became popular with adolescents from the mid to late 2000s and early 2010s. Members of the scene subculture are referred to as scene kids, trendies, or scenesters. I've, I've never heard of trendies. I, that sort of rings a bell for me, but sort of like a distant whale in the background of, like, a foggy mansion. Just going, trendies, trendies. I feel like a local news station trying to understand scene culture would call them trendies. Sure. And then it goes on, because they're... The interesting thing about scene, and this is something that we will get into, is music plays an important role, but it's mm-hmm. not the defining role. And I think that's where some can make the argument to separate emo culture or pop punk culture from scene culture right and i think you can be you can be punk and be seen but you don't have to be punk in scene like that's it's yeah and uh so a lot of bands that would be considered scene affiliated if not just outright making music for scene would include anything from post-hardcore metalcore crunkcore deathcore electronic music pop punk bands if you've got a core in your band name or type of music, you are probably something seen people listen to. Uh, if you had a MySpace page for your music, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, some of these bands include Falling in Reverse, Broken Side, that oh, that, yeah. Blood on the Dance Floor, A Day to Remember, oh, The God. Bunny the Bear, which I really, I, I do like The Bunny the Bear. Really? Yes. <laughs> May Day Parade. Jeffree mm-hmm. Star, Mm-mm. Piercing the Veil, All Time mm-hmm. Low, Bring Me the Horizon, For All this, for all Those Sleeping, Chunk, no, Chunk, No Captain Chunk, Chunk, oh, it's Chunk, No Captain Chunk, oh god, I'm so dumb. Ooh, that's worse, I thought it was just gonna be Chunk. No, <laughs> Chunk, No Captain Chunk. 
Hey, Tom here. With a quick editor's note, I wanted to come in and say since this episode, I have actually gone and listened to Chunk, No Captain Chunk. Uh, in particular, I want to point out the song In Friends We Trust. That song's a banger. Uh, I quite like this group. Quite easy core, easy going. So uh, yeah, just a little sample here for you to enjoy if you want to try something different. Eskimo Callboy, I See Stars, Attila, These Hearts, I See My Friends on Fire, Family Force 5, Breathe Carolina, mm. yeah. Cinema Bazaar, Restart, Attack Attack, Close Your Eyes, Abandon All Ships, The Devil Wears Prada, Lights, 303, Paramore, Asking Alexandria, Hey Monday, Hey Monday, Cute is What I Aim For, The oh Millionaires, <laughs> I wrestled a bear once. Boys like girls. You had me at six. Prima Donna. Sleeping with sirens. Dance Gavin Dance. We came as Romans. Jamie's elsewhere. Metro Station. Metro Station. Design the skyline. Bring me the horizon. Uh, Yeah. I already mentioned those names. Okay. So I never listened to Lights when Lights was part of the scene. Scene. But I've listened to Light's most recent couple of albums, and I do actually really like what she's making now. I, I can't speak for what she was making at the time, but what she does now, I like. And what's interesting is that uh, I will say that some of these bands did not go into this with the intention of being associated with scene. Right. But something like Broken Side, 100%. Like, that was what right. they went for. They're like, oh, and the millionaires? Like, I don't even know their names individually, but like... There was definitely that element of we don't need music to make music. I so I listened to Metro Station's Shake It and watched the music video for the very first time today. And that's what made me remember the skinny colored pants. I couldn't remember them before that. Yeah. But um the thing that I realized listening to it, because all I knew was the chorus where they just say Shake, 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 it. shake, yeah. shake, shake it. The lyrics during the verse are really nothing at all. They're completely replaceable. It's like they want it to be white noise because they're just leading up to the chorus, which is about something completely different. <laughs> In the verse, Trey Cyrus, or is it Noah Cyrus? No, Noah's the youngest one. Trey Cyrus, who is part of the Cyrus family is just sort of mumbling the verse. He's just saying it could be anything, but it's about getting a girl's clothes off. But uh, okay. he could be reading you his grocery list, and he's just like, one asparagus, two eggs, five pieces of bread. Shake, 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 shake it. And then that's all it is. That's awesome. <laughs> so, if you will, I that is what I gathered from... Very objective research. This is the objective look at, sorry, scene culture. And I love that Wikipedia included this. The scene subculture has been criticized by the members of the emo subculture for allegedly imitating their style. 
<laughs> and I have, and I, I've dived into that. I've dived into and I've asked people who were once seen, like, is it fair to have these parallels to emo? And there's a very, I, I think I have a very interesting answer. Mm-hmm. I've talked to a lot of people and I, there are a few people's stories I'd actually like to share because I think it's what I gained the most out of this was getting people's stories and like understanding what, you know, what, what this meant to them, what the, you know, the reasons they did it, the, the feeling of community, feeling, you know, finding meaning in something that they, you know, when they were felt ostracized or disenfranchised. Mm-hmm. And what I've realized is that um, for the most part, what I've seen is that in the early days when scene was first becoming a term, because I also watched uh, this kid in New Jersey. I, w- I wish I remember the name, but there was some kid for college made a documentary called What is Scene? It was released on YouTube in 2006. So this is how old we're getting. Is it still there? Yeah, I could share the link. It's a fascinating video. Matter of fact, let me pull it up. I'll just pull it up real quick. The YouTube channel hasn't been active in like 13 years. Sure. But it's uh, by the YouTube channel Gung O Films, and it's called Official Scene Kid Documentary. <laughs> scene Doc. And it is, it's about the scene culture in New Jersey. Okay. And what's interesting is that this is 2006, so I think this was still early on. So, like, when he was talking to quote-unquote scene kids, they didn't call themselves scene. Mm -hmm. They were just kind of dressed in the regular hot topic, emo, mall goth, like, apparel. Okay. Scene was used by everyone else in how much they didn't like them. Right. Like, there was a kid with a faux hawk in the documentary who was like, fuck these scene kids, I hate these scene kids, they're ruining, they're not, they're not about the music. And it got me on this interesting question, is the term scene something that was imposed on them? And I think the answer is yes, because a lot of the stories I've gotten, the, the expressionate fashion of both emo and post-punk culture mm-hmm. really enticed a lot of people to find a way to express themselves, but for them it was more about the fashion, the look, the aesthetic. So they start incorporating the look. I was going to say, you could argue that scene is supposed to mean this person is being seen in a very dramatic, brightly colored way. Yes, yes. They might as well have been walking in highlighters. Mm Mm-hmm. And the idea was to to use that, you know, use the aesthetic form of expression. To kind of say, you know, kind of define themselves individually from the crowd or try mm-hmm. to find a sense of community in something. So I would say that that's when the gatekeepers of punk, especially especially punk, I'll say punk, like metal kids were always assholes. They're always dorks. They're always going to hate anyone that's not them. But punk kids really had, and I'll say punk, emo, ska, played a very heavy hand in defining what scene was. Mm-hmm. because they didn't they they they're like oh these these girls who dress emo come to the shows but don't care about the bands they come to hang out and you know screw them they're not about it they're scene they're just here for the scene it's like you listen to the same music you dress in a similar way
pants that don't close, and the three studded belts, always white too. The white ones? Tight pants, long hair, shaggy hair, unkempt. Tight jeans for guys. And then I think in turn, as especially with social media, because this is like when MySpace blew up, social media was like its first becoming a thing. So you could garner attention from that negativity and say, yeah, well, fuck you. I'm seen. I'm a scene kid. And you know, right. I, said, I said at the top of the episode, my haters make me famous. I mean, that's Jeffree Star's entire career. Yeah. I was always a little uncomfortable with the amount of cursing that was involved with Jeffree Star's fan base. Oh, well, Jeffree Star, especially back in his heyday, yeah. said some very problematic things. Right. Because when I was a kid, uh, being a fan of Jeffree Star, those fans would sort of normalize the C word, which I'm not even going to... I don't like that yeah. word. Um, so I was also very sensitive and very nervous. So if somebody used that word very commonly i was just like oh like that's a very intimidating fan base like oh, i don't want i don't want anything to do with that you know um but also on the other end of it there is sort of this strange infantilization about scene culture and that has to do with the pokemon shirts and if you look at the pictures if you google scene kids you'll see a lot of pictures of the girls with these ridiculous bows in their hair uh rainbow bright aesthetic of poofy dresses the tutus and just sort of looking off innocently like obviously you're taking a picture towards your face but maybe the person who's in the picture is just like hmm me like this very coy coquettish yeah. kind of look so it's kind of very much like reverting back to childhood and sort of seeming childlike. And yeah, I will agree to that. That's mm -hmm. definitely, there was definitely a bit of that at hand involved. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is that a lot of the pop culture things that scene kids strung to, mm -hmm. like you mentioned Pokemon and, mm -hmm. we, you know, video games and just young adolescents. It's interesting because I think part of the reason scene kind of gone away, because at that back in the, like high school days, like even though you could like Pokemon and stuff like that, to wear it wasn't yeah. as much of a normality. Then scene became made that very like in your face, very this is what I'm you know about Pokemon cartoons, cutesy, cartoons. and then from Invader Zim. Yep, and then yeah. once you get to the you know then we hit 2010, and then that just became the the norm, like, quote-unquote, normie culture kind of just embraced all these things. Right. And I, yeah. Like, a lot of people wanted to play their old Game Boys again. A lot of people wanted to play Nintendo 64 again. And I think it'd be a fair assumption to say that a lot of, the, a lot of that was due to these youths becoming adults right. who were seen, who either grew out of scene or just kind of took the things that they were passionate about and brought it to, I guess, normie culture. And we even have that, there's that joke that the scene kid of 2007 is the hipster of 2015. Right. And in general, nostalgia kind of came from scene culture. Yes. Oh, wanting yeah. things from your childhood. And now we've all grown up and sort of manifested that nostalgia. And that's why people joke that millennials are the only ones who have any history, who have anything of culture, who have good taste. And mm. 
they grew up with all the good things. I think it sort of evolved from that, the same way the hipster evolved from that, and the same way you had to know music. Or you were a hipster, or you were a scene kid if you only knew the popular songs, and that was it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, these are, I got some personal stories for scene, if they want me to share them. Yeah, let's do it. I'm so amazed that you took the time to reach out to previous and current scene kids. Yes. Because um, I, I did it because I just, I wanted to, because I, I thought it'd be unfair for me to come at it and not having fully been integrated in scene and knowing that I came from it from a more like distant level of curiosity and jealousy. So I wanted to get an understanding of people who were seen back in the day. This is from um, an artist, Von Shiva. You can Ooh. find him on Instagram. He's a musician, part of the 5-7 Collective. You can find them and J57 on Instagram and Spotify. And his experience as a scene kid back in the aughts, I asked him some of the signature fashions, what it meant mm-hmm. for him, what is the music influences. He, he told me, you know, a lot of things, you know, when it comes to fashion, it's things that we can imagine. He'd be like, fashion would always be girl jeans, tight jeans, hair with converse and bands. Uh, always black, even though in the summer, he said something funny, he said, even when it got really hot, you wore black skinny jeans, and if it got too hot, you just got scissors and cut the bottoms off. (laughs) That I definitely did. I definitely cut pants into shorts, and you wanted it to be clear that they were once jeans. Yep. They had to look like they were previously jeans. Uh, As far as music influences... For him personally, it started, he said, pop punk was a huge thing, but he also listened to a lot of heavier stuff like death metal. Uh, He was also a big fan of Bring the Horizon, Happy Medium being like Escape the Fate. Mm -hmm. He said specifically that, and I think this card goes back to what I was mentioning before, scene was more about the fashion and the image, and especially like the presence of social media with MySpace. Like scene was about making your using this aesthetic and this look to make your identity known. Right. And I think for a lot of young kids, have we, we all go through that, that coming-of-age struggle to identify who we are versus our peers versus our parents. And scene was just, like, the most explosive way to do that. Mm-hmm. And I see that there is a lot of, you know, it's easy to look back and make jokes and whatnot, but there is this interesting, like, dynamic of sometimes people who had a very hard time coming out with who they were Mm-hmm. It was easier to it was easy to see why scene became so prominent for them. It's like they just jump in and are like, very much here I am, here I am, witness me, you know. Right. This is my name on MySpace. I'm gonna be Courtney Cuts and Bruises. I'm gonna put the last name in brackets, and that's who I am. There was also the a lot of congregation around the brutal scene on MySpace, or the way he spelled it was B-R-0-0-T-4-L. Oh, man. I love that. I just oh, no. <laughs> uh, emo, what he defined what he saw as emo stuff like Dashboard Confessions. He was more into, he was more into heavier things. He, for him, it, ex- it was a way for him to express his vulnerable side as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's now into very much hip-hop. That's cool. And he said that because back then hip hop wasn't as vulnerable, and I think sure. on a on a commercial level it wasn't like mainstream hip hop was very like this is the era of like Fifty Cent, mm-hmm. 
this is the era of it still being very hyper-masculine. Right. I think in general now, pop music and hip-hop does make itself more vulnerable and it's more open to personal struggle um, in a way that music just wasn't at the time. So certain genres were the only ones doing that. And what I love is that he mentions here for his influences, he goes, what I loved about being seen was that it was okay to look feminine, but also throw down in the mosh pit. Right. Which is very true. Like, that was very much a thing. And this is where we saw a lot of slam dancing, two-stepping, traditional just moshing behavior. It, depending on what band you were seeing and the crowd that was there, you'd get a different type of feel for the crowd. It's always mm -hmm. fun to see. It's different now because, like, everyone goes to the same shows now. But back then, like, to see the differences from, like, when I would see a band like... I was seeing things like Devil Driver. I was seeing bands like Lamb of God. But then I, I would go to a Silverstein show. Very different type of crowd. Yeah, yeah. I think even from the first time I saw Paramore before they were anybody uh, to who they became was a very different crowd. And also Haley Williams presented herself as somebody very different. I think we're also hitting a new era of Haley Williams as a solo artist, which I absolutely adore. This is definitely my favorite thing that she's ever worked on. But the first time Alyssa and I went to Bamboozle when we were 14 years old, we saw Paramore, and they weren't even on the center stage. They were on one of the smaller stages earlier on in the day. And at the time, Haley Williams was just a 16, 17-year-old girl who wore, like, a boy's car t-shirt and big pants, kind of fitting more of, like, the emo look. Yeah. Then once Misery Business hit it big, I think that's where you can really see the shift for scene culture to sort of integrate into those sort of scenes because Misery Business was their biggest hit at the time. Her style was fully focused on bright colors, crazy outfits. And suddenly I started to notice when I asked people what Paramore songs did they like, they only mentioned the hits. Really. And as a true emo kid, I would roll my eyes at them. That's, I understand. So that's a really good example of how things changed over time. You hit on something, and I think this is this plays into another person I was talking to. Mm -hmm. Their why scene was prevalent for them mm -hmm. was their experience as an adolescent in high school was difficult with fitting into the gender norms, expected mm -hmm. gender norms. And what's weird is about I would say something weird about the aughts is that it like the nineties had its own like grunge was very fashionable. And I think that there was even, like, a like not perfect. Like, I'm not saying the 90s were ideal, but, like, fashion in the 90s was a little more androgynous than they were in the 2000s. Mm. I think in the 2000s, fashion, female pop singers, very sexualized imagery, very sexualized outfits. Mm -hmm. The aughts did have, like, this reversion to hypersexualized clothing again. Yeah, yeah. And I think for a lot of scene kids, and this, and this person I'm speaking about in particular their struggle with that identity of like I don't I'm not this though and right scene provided like an outlet to because it's a very much a gender bending fashion where you know guys wearing girls jeans girls wearing guys shirts the mixing matching of different 
supposed gender norms and just the, the expression of wearing makeup, you know, inner gender and then the very loud expression it looks. So for the person I had spoke to, they go by Lamb Person on Instagram. <laughs> um, they are fantastic. I was super glad that I got to talk to them. Mm -hmm. Their story was very much about the struggle with what, you know, gender means for them in a very binary understanding of gender, especially mm -hmm. in the aughts, where then all of a sudden here comes scene. It's like, fuck that. You can wear your girl jeans. You can wear, you know, the band tee. You can put your hair up. And so it was this draw and expression to find themselves at such a young age to play this non-specific gender role. Mm -hmm, and I mm -hmm. think it fed and helped a lot of people coming of age that when we get to the 2010s where things become a little bit more open and we have more conversations about gender role mm -hmm. and non-binary gender role and where you can fit into that, there is this unique thing that scene kind of allowed that to happen in a way. Like, I'm not going to give scene the credit and be like, oh, scene is an angel. Because it's it, that's right. all it is. It's, it's, it's a scene. It's a fashion movement of the youth. Right, and the biggest icon of the early 2000s, who I also struggled with emulating because I just couldn't relate to it, was Paris Hilton. Yeah. Who was always showing her skin and had, like, and the low-rise jeans were such a popular thing at the time. You wanted to see those indents on your hips. That's not something that every teenager is going to relate to at that time. So having something to fall back on where it's not about any of that at all is very tempting. It's about being brutal. It's about being brutal. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> I said, this is my old high school. I said brutal to metal. I have to, it's brutal. Right. Brutal. Sometimes brutal. I worry when the aliens come down and they try to pick apart what our history and culture was about. I worry about some of the things that they will pick up out of context, like brutal. <laughs> Brutal and dinosaur says rar. And I love you. <laughs> when a dinosaur says rar, it means I love you. Um, but yeah, things like that. And the thing is, is like I can look back on a lot of those um, icons and styles at the time and acknowledge that those were just trends of that time. It's okay that there were people who wanted to show their skin, it's okay that they wanted to do this, but when you're bombarded as a teenager with images of girls getting drunk on paparazzi pictures and their underwear is showing, they're wearing a thong, they have no underwear on, they have like the skirts that are showing everything, and you don't relate to that or that doesn't move you in a positive way, it is very difficult to find yourself because it was very prevalent at the time. Oh, I mean, we even witnessed the downfall of that. I mean, think about totally. Lindsay, Lindsay Lohan. Yeah, Lindsay we Lohan. Watched, we watched that lifestyle and that attention adamantly destroy a person. Amy Winehouse. Yeah. Yeah. So Britney Spears. Yeah, exactly. Britney Spears. Oh, sweet Britney Spears. Um, you know, we could see what was the rise of that sort of attention and the calculations behind paparazzi and then just how badly yeah. it fell. So and, I can see why people wanted to find something else. Yeah. And yeah. I can even say from my experiences in high school, I touched on it earlier, but mm -hmm. definitely the, 
the hyper attention to masculinity. Yeah. Like the, like pop culture was very much feeding this very macho bravado sense of masculinity. And I didn't want to be a part of that, Mm -hmm. but I still had that insecurity where I'm like, well, I'm not mainstream. I'm not in the, I'm not the athlete. I'm not the popular kid, but I still have to be masculine. (laughs) So somehow growing out my hair was okay. But, but straightening it and taking care of it, God forbid, that's too feminine. I couldn't do it. I think also just like taking care of your hair logically was just not a thing in the early 2000s or for any teenager at all. Especially guys like what? Okay. Let's think of popular hairstyles for men in the aughts besides scene, uh, spiky hair. Definitely the, that new metal, you know, maybe frosted tip thing going on. I loved the emo. Like I said, please see Space by Something Corporate and see Andrew McMahon's very bushy, covering the eyes hair. Like, if, if a guy threw it around while he's playing the piano with his converse on, that was my thing. No, I understand. But, like... That was like, if you, you had to, that was the draw of it though. Like yeah. being, you know, listening to emo, being a part of emo and then being a part of scene. Mm-hmm. Because like the mainstream culture at the time, like when I was playing football, everyone had the same fucking haircut. Yeah. Yeah. It was either buzz cut or a two. I don't know what that means. I don't either. <laughs> Actually, I do know what it means. It's like, it's been so long since I've been to a barber. Is it, the, is it? The size? The length. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's the length. Okay. It all, and that's the thing. It's you, whenever you go to a barber, they don't do anything different if you have a different type of hair. It's all uniform. It's very, doesn't matter if you have curly, thick hair or you have thin, short hair. Mm-hmm. They, you should go in, you sit down, you say two. Mm-hmm. And they shave it to a two. Or they shave it to a one. And if you want to get a little... You know, a little crazy, you get it out to, you get the, you let the bang throughout to a four and you spike it up and maybe you get frosted tips. Yeah. You know, or. or Gel was very prevalent. If a guy did anything with his hair in the 2000s, it was just dig your hand into a giant pile of gel and just smush that shit all over. Yes. So that, I mean, yeah, that was pretty much it. Or even, like, safe haircuts. Like, you take an extreme haircut like the mohawk and you make it safe. You call it the fauxhawk. Right. There is a bit of a revival. I think that's an interesting note to have. That 2020, there is a scene revival. And the same gatekeepers who really did not like scene kids are writing articles about how a lot of these, you know, scene kids, the scene culture, and a lot of these bands are getting recognition when back then they did not. (laughs) Do you remember Hollywood Undead? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I do like Hollywood Undead, actually. I don't like not. Hollywood Undead still. That still stands for me. That's fair. But I yeah. think I like the colors and the culture a little bit more now. I think that the way pastel hair color has come back and it's very popular now. It's very common now to put pastel lavender or gray in your hair. In a way that it was never mainstream before. That is true. And I still wear my graphic tees. If I want to wear a t-shirt with Sailor Moon on it, I'm going to wear a t-shirt with Sailor Moon on it. And that's I that. I think I need to buy a neon monster t-shirt. <laughs> I need to buy something seen. Because I have nothing. 
But um, did you want to talk about some notable scene queens? Oh, yes. Um, so like I mentioned before, it was very cool to make your identity on MySpace uh, with your first name and then a ridiculous, aggressive, ridiculous, brutal name as your last name on MySpace with brackets. Now, one thing I did actually do in my, in the MySpace days was I made my name Courtney Brackets in <laughs> a direct satire of the scene culture of giving yourself a very brutal last name. But one of the people that I've really enjoyed like coming to her own over time, which was sort of very popular sort of at the end of our time, in the emo scene phase was Jack Vanek. Jack Vanek. Jack Vanek was the big one, and I think we actually sort of missed it a little bit. We she, did, yeah. Yeah. When she was a college student, she was making these bracelets that would say one word on them, like chaotic or havoc, something along those lines. She was getting into relationships with people like panic at the disco like essentially consider somebody who's a socialite but specifically a socialite for concerts and press scenes and other festivals like that yeah so now jack vanick is actually a fashion correspondent <laughs> yes and she has a line of clothes that are very self-deprecative in a way that i can appreciate one of them saying, retired emo kid, it's a $40 shirt, it's very expensive, but gosh, do I want it. That's awesome. <laughs> I also have, uh, on my list of notable scene queens, we have uh, Zoe Suicide. Yep. Who got her start as a suicide girl, which is, oh, uh, for, those, for those who are not familiar, they are a, are they pornographic? I would say, we called it new pinup. New pinup. Yeah. When we were in college, me and my girlfriends, we called it new pinup. And we actually okay. really loved that because it kind of was a little cheeky nod to the way burlesque and pinup used to be, but with girls covered in tattoos. Yes. Mm -hmm. I also have uh, Kiki Cannibal. That one rang a bell once you mentioned it, but no face comes to mind. Or I'm just creating an amalgamation of all of the scene faces and characteristics. She, um, she, she unfortunately had a bit of tragedy. She, uh, at 15 started becoming like, that was when she started becoming scene. She dated this guy who was another MySpace scene figure. I forgot his name, but honestly, fuck him. He's a piece of shit. <laughs> he was 19 at the time. Uh-huh. And the relationship was fairly tragic and abusive and i think he uh I, I don't know what happened to him but he's dead oh my god uh, otherwise kiki cannibal's doing her own thing and you can follow her on instagram and she's doing pretty good for herself it's amazing to see these people who i sort of anticipated would just sort of fade away and become normal people like who are accountants or something actually are still you know doing what they're doing and getting success from it. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think when we get to certain people, and like with these personal stories, scene was the outlet to to express it, but as culture and as normal society changed, it allowed for you to express yourself and be who you are 
without being necessarily scene aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Because that's what I think I've noticed about a lot of these scene queens is they go on to be fashion icons or correspondents or mm-hmm. someone on here who's a male figure um, or I hope I'm getting that right. I apologize if that's not true. Uh, back in the day was Cameron Ugh. Cameron Ugh was was a very prominent scene male figure mm-hmm. who is now um, on RuPaul's Drag Race as Farah. That's amazing. Oh my god, I'm you know. looking at these pictures. Yes. Also, Pheromone is stunning. I just want to say that right now. I've never yeah. actually watched RuPaul, but Pheromone is stunning. And then we have something like Hannah Beth. She started modeling. She was a real go-getter. Like, I've read a little bit about her. Uh, mm-hmm. At 15, started modeling on MySpace, just pushed her way through Model Mayhem and would just get anyone who could do photography for a 15-year-old scene girl, got really built this modeling career and then jumped right into the music culture. She started dating, I know she dated uh, Boys Like Girls frontman and mm. then maybe something with Metro Station. Right. And just kind of became her own like fashion icon in a way. Um, mm. There's also Audrey Kitchen. Uh, What's she up to? I have no idea. <laughs> she got famous from her live journal blogs. Oh, man, I had a live journal. No, I had a Zanga. A Zanga. I don't Zanga. even know what that is. That's okay. Me neither. <laughs> it was a weird thing. Let's talk about the millionaires. Oh, gosh. This was an accident. It was a group of scene girls. I think they're sisters, even. And you know, I know that they... I actually swam away from the millionaires. It was more of just like a, nope, not going there. Swim away. I want I jumped, nothing to do with this. <laughs> I jumped into this pool. The Millionaires got famous for making a song. They were all about the marketing, and there's kind of the brilliance behind that, because their music's terrible. Sure. Their music's terrible, but, like, it wasn't even necessarily about that. It was this in-your-face attitude about it. It was a song they made. It by actually got on MySpace. They embraced how, like, popular it became among scene kids. And mm-hmm. then they even, like, performed a warp Tour and shit. I think they still make music, too. Oh but uh, the song that they became famous for is a song called <clears throat> I Like Money. That's what it was. Yes, and I will read you some of the lyrics now. There's a picture that is just a group of, like... It's just a collection of shots of the lead singer in the most ridiculous, gigantic bow in just multiple different colors. Yes. Okay, sorry, go ahead. I want to hear these lyrics. So I'm on Genius.com mm-hmm. for millionaires. I like money. Drop it down. Raise it up. Side to side. Left to right. Lick your lips. Flip your hair. Watch him sweat over there. High heels. Makeup. Fake eyelashes. Look at you. You're so damn plastic. Acrylics on the orangey skin. That lipo really made you thin. Tease it up. Spray it. Make it big. Your hair's so big, it's like a wig. Your skirt's so short, your top is low. Speed it up, it's way too slow. You like it when I rock my hips. So why you staring at my tits? So go to him and make him work for what he's got. 
how you twerk. Oh, well, that could be a whole can of worms about yeah, I don't want to. But I don't want to read anymore. We'll have <laughs> to go into that read. another time. <laughs> um, I also have to say that this was a really big thing in the early two thousands, and I'm sort of glad that we're moving past that. Was like girl on girl hate. Yes. It was brutal, for lack of a better term, when we it's were teenagers. It's very real. It was really rough, and part of it was being mean to other girls in other groups that didn't look like you, and it totally stems from a very long line of forcing girls subconsciously to be mean to each other, um, but I'm glad we're finally on the other side of that. It's unfortunate. I'm glad that there's an awareness to talk about it. Yeah. Because I definitely remember that being a part of, like, not necessarily scene itself, but a part of that, just in general, 2008, like, that, like, girl-on-girl, like, jealousy and that competition. Yeah, and I know that it was definitely something that I participated in. I mean, everybody did. It was just a part of normal society, and then eventually we've been able to break away from that and realize, like, this is not helping us as a community this is not helping our gender or anybody who identifies as that gender um this is only hurting each other but man were the cat claws out in the early 2000s yes yeah i do want to give a shout out to some of the people that i did not speak to directly but watched their videos to understand scene a little more yeah uh, YouTuber Nova Nightmares was a good one for me to help understand bringing oh. back the the RAR in 2020. <laughs> Sage Haley, who really helped me understand scene culture quite a bit. Then, uh, again, that documentary. I gotta say, it's just fascinating to watch, because it was made in 2006, so it's this DV HD camcorder footage mm-hmm. of a kid in New Jersey going around talking about scene <laughs> and understanding scene. And it's so fascinating because, again, nobody who they thought, like, everyone in the video who was considered the scene kid never mentioned scene. It right. was always the kids who were hating on them that said, oh, fuck them, they're the scene. Right. And there, well, that's where I kind of opened the door for, like, oh, there's there's definitely this element of other, like, oh, I don't want them associated with us. Mm-hmm. But um, I wanted to bring up, actually, this very interesting uh, WikiHow article you sent me. Yes. <laughs> do, do you want to take over and go over the Wiki's How article? So early on into our uh, research on scene culture, I found this lovely, lovely link that WikiHow created for people to understand the differences between emo and scene culture. And it's literally called, if you want to look it up, it is wikihow.com slash know the difference between emo and scene. And it has little hyphens in between those words. Um, and in pure WikiHow fashion, there are little illustrations to accompany the different methods and steps to understanding the difference between emo and scene culture. This is fascinating. And this is actually like what really helped me sort of identify the differences again between scene and emo. And the big thing is the bright colors. That's like the really big difference. And then also, um, I totally forgot about this, is that 
scene culture involved multiple facial piercings, not just an eyebrow piercing here or a lip piercing here. Multiple Monroe piercings, nose piercings, eyebrows, like the whole face had to be covered. And that was something in general, as an artist who like notices what complements the body and like the individual composition of somebody's features just bothered me. It was just too much clutter. This is an interesting article because it, it, from an objective perspective, it does highlight the differences. Mm-hmm. It does highlight the differences significantly, like the neon colored hair versus just dark, you know, m- you know, emo hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, a lot more push towards party music. Yeah. Like music that was more about the energy. Like, I would say that scene was very much an in-your-face energetic scene. Yeah, and the more I think about it, the more I think we did actually sort of cover a scene band, which was Cobra Starship. Yes. Yeah, they actually really fit that shift from emo music or alternative rock to dance, pop, electro beat, um, but still considered alternative. Yes, and another uh, crossover to an older episode, uh, seeing kids drank a lot of Monster. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that that... When you think about it, their logo is perfect for a scene kid. It's a bright neon green sign. With a black background. With a black hand. Yeah. And it's an energy drink. Yeah. Uh, and, cre- like, investigate online presence. Very much a strong online presence. Androgyny. We mentioned that before. Uh, watch for a smile. Yeah. <laughs> While the stereotype is frequently overstated, there is a tendency among those who identify as emo to be emotional, sensitive, shy, introverted, withdrawn, and even angsty. This Me. stereotype originated in emo music, which often focuses on similar themes. Because the intimate connection to music that often characterizes an emo personality, these themes are often used to describe a general mood of the person of emo subculture. You are far more likely to see a smile on someone who identifies a scene. Because <laughs> they're so dancing. They're dancing and having a good time. They're happy. They're shaking it. They're playing Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, at least they were like fully invested in what they were trying to be. They're like, hell yeah, we're going to play Pokemon. Hell yeah, we're going to dance to this kind of shitty music. Oh, yeah. Should we add uh, this song by the Millionaires to our Emerging Trends in Alt-Rock from the 2000s list? You know what? Let's do it. Okay. Because I wasn't thinking about it, but then once you started reading the lyrics, I was like, you know, they deserve a spot in our data collection. Um, To anyone who has seen or is a part of scene or was seen, I apologize. We're not saying that the millionaires encompasses all of scene as an identity. We're just saying that unfortunately it's the most infamous song and will go on the list of emerging alt rock trends in the 2000s. Right. And just as like trends develop and different cultures or subcultures develop, there's always going to be the standouts who are not necessarily the epitome but sort of encapsulize the caricature of those subcultures. And in this case, we have the millionaires. A hundred percent. Yeah. So what's the song's name again? I Like Money? I Like Money. All right. Typing it in. Click, 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 click. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say they're garbage people. 
Yeah, no, that's like, that's exactly what it's for. Yeah, and I'm not even saying that for the fact that they like money. I'm saying it because they're very mean to their other female cohorts. Yes. Yeah. Alright, so that's an easy win for garbage person. Just to remind everybody of our subcategories for alt-rock music in the 2000s, it's mutual or self-assured destruction and love, denouncement of society, take whatever you throw at me, garbage person, and not okay. So I'm sure we'll have more develop over time. There's one that I'm trying to pinpoint that I just haven't figured out yet that is like nostalgia or like missing childhood, but I just haven't quite figured out how we're going to categorize that yet until we come to it. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. As we draw it close to the end, we normally come to this question, and I'm going to ask you first, because I have a very interesting answer. Okay. Scene culture. Would it work today? Or is it coming back? Rather. I'm going to say no, but I think it's coming back regardless. (laughs) I don't think... It's a non-consensual comeback. Um, I think that some things will inherently change. I don't think that the raccoon striped hair extensions are going to come back. I think that with the pastel hair color trend as normalized as it is, loving vintage and nostalgic things. Like I said, I love my Sailor Moon t-shirts. I'm not getting rid of them for the life of me. Um, I think, I just think society is set up for its inevitable return. Yes, I think that's the only way to answer it because I think as it was in the 2000s, mm-hmm. it can't come back. Yeah. But I think at its best, like, it's coming back. Like, there is definitely a scene revival, and I think for the, it, with the, with the better aspects, mm-hmm. now it'll, you know, we'll see there, we'll see more celebration and progression of, you know, gender non-conforming as fashion and, you know, identity more of the, you know, maybe just, you know, 2020 has been so crazy. I don't mind some goofy right? party nonsense. <laughs> like, go for it, man. Go for it. I'm with you. Now's the time. It. Now's the time. Um, I think those are the good elements that we'll definitely see a resurgence. Uh, music, I think more so it's a music thing coming back. Like the, you know, a lot of these bands like like hardcore metalcore a lot of these types of bands will have will bring about that resurgence in that scene culture so these are all i'm saying the good sides of it yeah the negative sides of it uh (laughs) lots of eyeliner i think the negatives of scene culture coming back let's take a look back at the millionaires (laughs) so based on my understanding of internet culture and memedom uh a song like i am i like money Mm -hmm. would not exist right but a song that says "I like your money," hell yeah, would be would be very <laughs> popular. Or I like I like simp money. I like daddy simp money. Mm-hmm. Or uh, my girlfriend's boyfriend Ricardo let me play the PlayStation tonight. Yeah. <laughs> so that is definitely going to be the comeback. I think that there are a lot of bricks in the foundation that are leading up to its inevitable return including like you were saying about music and I'm actually a little bit more for that return just of music because electronic sounds in music is more prevalent than ever and so is like so 
at the time, rock music was leading into including electronic beats, being more dancey. Meanwhile, we're at this point where pop music, we want more from pop music. We want more serious content from pop music. So it's sort of just naturally merging into each other anyways. Sure. When I think of Halsey's new album, I think of like Billie Eilish's new album, they've already got that sort of pastel, I'm not okay and I'm raging about it kind of music yeah with pop synth beats to it i think we're already at that point music wise oh yeah Yeah. we're already here music wise it'll just be another year until we see it like culturally wise yeah um i was gonna talk about this in the episode yes and i'll briefly mention at the end but i watched a local news station abc channel 4 i don't know where but it was in like illinois Sure. Small local station talking about emo culture. <laughs> talking about the dangers of emo culture. And at first, I thought it'd be an, a hilariously cringy thing to watch. Yeah. Uh, it was fairly upsetting. <laughs> because it's like, it started out funny. It started out like, look for these signs. Dark clothing. Straightened hair. Bands like My Chemical Romance. Black Drawn Hearts. <laughs> Broken hearts, all the sadness, emotional. But then they started talking about self-harm, and it really upset me because I'm like, they're really not sensitive to this whatsoever. Right. Like, they're talking about it as if, like, they're like, it's a serious business, guys. And then, like, the next thing the guy would say, I'd be like, that's very not, that's really not sensitive at all. No, no, it was really bad back then. Yeah, the the image, like, the I. Like, there was such a panic around it yeah. that the immediate response from these figures was, like, misunderstanding and shaming. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, for someone who is in this position, mm-hmm. you're making them feel worse. Yeah, and also it was sort of creating that divide even further that kids who wore emo clothes and wore dark clothes were struggling or had shitty family situations and sort of diverting attention away from kids who maybe didn't dress like that but also were dealing with equally difficult potentially trying harder to disguise their family situations at home so they kind of created this narrative that like if you were an emo kid you had bad parents yeah yeah so it's just like it's just so it w- I thought it'd be funny. Turns out it's not, and I didn't want to show it, or I only wanted to talk about it in this negative connotation of like, wow, mm-hmm. people really didn't have a good sensitivity to this type of this subject. I've mentioned this before, and I'll say it again. And part of that is from learning from that class where we talked about scene culture is that the news and the media are always going to want to confuse and scare parents into what their kids are interested in, what the trends are instead of actually properly psychoanalyzing how these trends develop or uh, what we can do as an adult to understand them better. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was. it's unfortunate, but hey, maybe I'll make a fake news, local news story about the return of scene. You should. Warning all the parents about wearing pastels and neon colors and the RARs. You should. That'd be hilarious. I think they will actually believe that it's coming back. It's true. You might actually lead the return of scene by doing so. Oh, my high school self would hate it, but fuck <laughs> them. If you cry wolf, 
the scene will come back. Yes. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to us of Remember the Ots. You can listen to us on Spotify, where we will be posting weekly. And you can also check out our interactive content on our Instagram, Remember the Ots Podcast. And that's with zero zeros. So it's Remember the Zero Zeros Podcast. Be sure to like. Give us all the likes, follow and like, <laughs> and share. I want to know. We want to know your stories too. I can't wait to hear about what other people have to say. So thank you for joining it's a beautiful us. Beautiful thing. Yes, stay tuned, guys. <laughs>